Today's scripture reading will come from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. If you would like to follow along in one of the Pew Bibles, it can be found on page 1028. Again, that is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ, Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. As you can tell, I'm still new here because I almost skipped the reading of the scripture, if anybody else saw that. Uh, I am glad you guys are all here. I just want us to take a moment and just think about this opportunity we have uh, as Christians to gather together. Uh, when I look around this congregation, I'm just encouraged this morning that we can come together and worship and praise God, uh, that we can do it with so many different people who are striving to live for God and have a deep gratitude of that salvation we have in Him. If you're new here, we are so glad you are here. Um, after we get done worshiping here, we invite you to Bible class. We got Bible classes for all ages. If you want more information, you can just go right outside these doors. There's a big desk there, and some gentlemen back there will help you get to Bible class. Um, there's also in the pews a guest card in front of you. Uh, we would love for you to fill that out. The reason we ask you to do that is we would love to follow up with you about your visit. Just to thank you for coming and being here, seeing if you have any questions. And also on Tuesdays, the elders and ministers get together and we pray for those that we know that are hurting. And we always like to pray for any guests we have as well. Uh, so fill one of those out, put a prayer request on there for us, and we'll make sure to pray for you. There are some exciting things coming up. We have worship in the park. Uh, it is just around the corner. So I want to mention a couple of logistics here in case you didn't get the email. Chairs will be provided, but feel free to bring your own if you have a camping chair uh, that you'd prefer. Uh, you will park at Mount Juliet Middle School unless you're a guest and you can just go on to the park. Uh, but for us that are hosting it, please park at the middle school and there will be buses and I heard it, maybe even a golf cart that could take you right up to where worship will be uh, if you're worried about the transportation there. Um, bring a glove, football, frisbee, anything that you want to play with, because after we worship and then we eat, uh, we're going to hang out. There's going to be inflatables, face painting, but I also heard we're going to play some wiffle ball. Uh, now, if you want to relive your glory days, but you're worried about running to first base, I heard you can have a pitch runner. Um, so if you want to swing and then get somebody to run for you, that will work. It's for everyone. So I hope you will join us for that. I want, us to remind, I want to remind us of the purpose of this. Um, yes, we're going to have a lot of fun with each other as Christians, but the purpose of this is for us to step outside these walls, invite our community to come and join us. Uh, for a lot of people, if they didn't grow up uh, going to worship, a church building can be intimidating to them. Uh, so we want to give this opportunity for somebody that wants to come and see what the church is about to experience, what it is to be around other Christians, that that may be a hurdle to them. So don't let this opportunity pass by. 
please invite your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends to come and join us. It's a very casual atmosphere uh, where we can worship, but then also just hang out and to get to know one another. Uh, I ask one more thing of you. Um, our communications people do a really good job of trying to put together uh, different means for us to reach our community. And one of those is through social media. Uh, so if you can, please go share uh, the the post about worship in the park. That way all your friends can see it, but then also go and invite them personally. Thank you for welcoming my family and I. Um, it's been an awesome couple of months here, and I really appreciate just how loving and welcoming and including you have been as we can partner together for the gospel. This morning, we're going to be continuing our theme, this fall focus on discipleship that is casting a vision for us as a congregation. Uh, last week, Craig did an awesome job of talking to us about how we fit in with the body, uh, that we are workers, that we're here to serve one another in love, and we're going to continue that theme uh, this morning. But before that, I want to reference an SOS form. Uh, if by chance you're not going to Bible class, uh, you will miss this, so I want to make sure that you know about this. But in Bible class, uh, we're going to be looking at Acts 9 and how we can get involved in different ministries. Uh, but if, let's say, it's been 15, 25 years since you filled out an involvement form, I'd encourage you to look at it again this week. Um, it is a really good list. I wouldn't say it includes everything, but it includes all these different ministries that we have available here at Mount Juliet. Um, so I would encourage you to look at it. You can call the church office. We can email it to you. Uh, you can find me. I'll get you one in person for you to get involved in the ministries. So we're going to be exploring that in Bible class. I invite you to join us. Uh, but if you can't, I still encourage you uh, to explore the different ways you can get involved here with this church family. Uh, this morning... We're going to continue our theme, and today it's about reaching out, finding your ministry, but I want us to look at just one type of ministry, and it's going to come from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn over there. Um, Paul calls it a ministry of reconciliation, uh, is a phrase that he uses here. I know we don't use that in our regular day terminology, but um, I thought it was fitting to see what Paul is talking about to us. In 2 Corinthians Paul is the author. He's writing to the Christians there at Corinth. Um, I would say they have a complex relationship. Uh, there's some false teachers there that are challenging Paul's ministry, uh, some of the things that he's doing. We will see that uh, in our text a little bit where he's uh, kind of rebutting some of those. Um, and in chapter 5, Paul just gets done talking about heaven. Uh, so that's kind of the context that we're jumping into this passage because it's going to overlap some. So it's important for us to know, okay, what does the author just say? And he's just got done talking about heaven. So let's flip over to uh, 1 Corinthians. And the outline here is there's three main things that you can see here. The first section is going to be this ministry of reconciliation is motivated by Christ. Uh, then we're supposed to love like Christ. And then he's going to wrap up talking about the message of Christ. Uh, so those will be kind of our guiding principles here as we work through this text. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. want to pause there. Fear of the Lord. That's an interesting phrase, um, especially if you're, you're new to Christianity. What, what does that mean? Because normally when we hear fear, we think, 
oh, well, being afraid of the dark, or if you're like me, I'm afraid of dogs. Um, long story, but so that's normally what we think of, right? We think of something that makes us uneasy, that we're afraid of, that we don't want to be around. Um, but that's not exactly what is being talked about here. Because notice the therefore at the beginning of the sentence. He's building upon this idea that, that Paul just talked about here. And in verse 6, he talks positively about this, this second coming of Jesus or time to be with him. Um, and then in verse 9, he says, for those who aim to please him. Uh, there's this type of reward that is being talked about here. So it's not just this negative th- thing. Uh, in Scripture, we see the fear of the Lord can be godly awe, reverence, or devotion to God. So it's different than the fear that we normally think of how, how we talk. Uh, notice in Proverbs, uh, we'll read two passages from Proverbs and then our Proverbs in the second one. Um, Proverbs fourteen twenty six. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. And then Proverbs 14, 2, whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. And then in Psalm 112, verse 1, praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. There's an interesting concept here in that this fear of the Lord and this anticipation to see Jesus is kind of split down the middle. For those that follow his commandments, for those that love him, it's a time of anticipation. It's, it's a good thing. Um, but for those that don't, there's a different feel, fear here. Um, so notice this in the passage here. This fear of the Lord is also connected to God's character. Um, one of the, the reasons I love the Old Testament is for the many years that we get to look at God's interaction with mankind. Uh, We get to see his faithfulness over people who time and time again portray him, time and time again do not listen to him, and he's trying to mold them. He's trying to build them up to be his people, uh, to have this covenant relationship with him. And you also have God's justice. And that sometimes can be a tricky balance for us to, to grasp God's faithfulness, but also his justice. But it's very important for understanding this idea of fear of the Lord. And as a parent, I understand it to a certain degree um, because with Ava being in the household, there are certain things that I want to do to protect her, her godliness, her purity, where I will say, no, we won't have this type of content in our house. And as a parent, you, you relate to that as well, especially maybe if you have a teenage daughter and you are someone in college and you have all these guys that's wanting to pursue her, you understand this idea of protection. And that's kind of how I see some of this with God's justice of protecting the purity, the godliness of of getting rid of sin, but also remaining faithful to his covenant. It's it's a beautiful thing, and it's one that should be encouraging us. So how does the fear of the Lord manifest itself in our lives? This idea of fearing the Lord to Paul, he says that it persuades him. Notice here again in the text. He says in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Interesting, because Paul says, if we have this fear of the Lord, it moves us to talk to other people. It moves us to speak. It moves us to persuade other people. So my question then is, how does it manifest itself? It does so in our speech. How can you be the bridge between your friends and for God to display a relationship where you're happy, there's peace, that, that God is benefiting your life, that you're a better person, that there's this awe, that there's this reverence 
in the way that you perceive God? Have you ever wanted to meet somebody just because of the way somebody else spoke of them? That's happened to me many times. Uh, I think several years ago, I was on a mission trip, and it was with some people here from Mount Juliet, and I remember, um, I remember Stephanie on that trip talking about her love for the people here, how great of a congregation this was, how encouraging of a, of a place it was, and it made me want to know you guys. I know when I moved here, uh, the ministers talked so highly of our elders and, and all the different people who are working here that are living by faith, and it, it draws me to want to meet those individuals. And then once we moved here, I, I know Allison, through different opportunities like the ladies retreat and some of her classes, have met some of you that I didn't get a chance to yet and spoke highly of you and, and your love, and that made me want to get to know you, made me want to meet you. I think the same idea is for us in our relationship with God. The way that we speak of God, of, of our all, of our reverence of him, of the way that he blesses our lives is wrapped up in this idea of our wanting to persuade other people to have a relationship with him. I think that's how this works. This ministry of reconciliation, I know we haven't fully uncovered everything, what that means, but how do we speak of God? I threw a sticky note up there because this week, Hopefully this can be a reminder of you is what can I say to praise God? That'd be a good thing to throw in your desk is just a reminder. What can I say today to praise God? To hopefully strike an awe, strike a desire of those around me to want to come to know this Jesus. Let's flip back to our text. In verse 12, We'll pick up again in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we, is, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. What Paul's talking about here in 12 and 13 uh, goes along with what I mentioned in the intro that there are people that are trying to discredit his ministry. Uh, they're trying to say, hey, Paul's got the wrong motives. And he's saying, look, the only reason I mention what I'm doing is to build you up, to give you a way to counter these attacks of these false uh, teachers. It's not for my own glory, but it is to help you. Um, and then notice here in verse 14, I love this. For the love of Christ controls us. What do you think of when you think of control? Normally, I think in a relationship kind of a negative thing um, for somebody to be controlling, for somebody uh, to not allow that person to move uh, with their own free will. But if you've ever been married, I think you will understand this point. Um, my, your love for your spouse controls you. And what I mean by that is before you enter that covenant, you only think about yourself in your relationship with God. The decisions you make, if you want to go out to eat at this restaurant, you just go. You know, you don't have that hour conversation. Uh, if you want to go hang out with friends, you, you just go. Like, you don't, there's no one else to think about. But if you've been married or you have a kid, your love for them controls you. And that every decision you make, everything you do, goes through that lens of that relationship with, with them. Not because you have to, but because you care about them. You want to take their feelings into consideration. You want to take what's best for them also into your consideration. Or you should. If not, uh, come talk. Um, so 
that to me is, is what Paul's talking about here, is the love of Christ controls him. As in everything he do, does, it's almost like a riverbank where it just guides every choice and decision that he makes. So when we talk about our motivation, Paul's saying, hey, this ministry of reconciliation that I'm about to talk about here, it begins with being motivated by Christ. It begins, that's at the heart of everything that we do here. Uh, why is this love of Christ that impactful? You know, not every relationship or not everybody that we come in contact with would move us or control or dictate our life and our choices and the way we perceive things like that. So what is it to Paul about this love of Christ that overwhelms him and controls his life? Notice what he says in verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for the sake died and was raised. Paul grasped what occurred at the cross. Paul grasped what God did, not for, just for him, but for everyone. Stop and think about that. And I know we know it because we hear uh, John 3, 16, and one of the most popular Bible verses. You see it at ball games. You hear it all over the place that, that Christ came and died for everyone. But really stop and think about that, for everyone. There is a story that, that I saw on Facebook, and you probably did as well, of this professor and student. We had the student do push-ups, uh, 10 for everybody in the class who wanted a donut. And he started, this was a buff guy, uh, class was maybe 30 people. So he started doing 10, easy. You know, jumps up, sits back down, gives the person a donut. The professor goes to the next student and says, would you like a donut? And the person said, yes, does another 10 push-ups. Over time, he starts getting tired and people take pity on him. So they start saying he's barely getting his arms back up and they start saying, no, no, I, I don't want a donut. And the student goes down and does another 10 push-ups. He does it time and time again where he's really straining to do these push-ups for him. And to me, it made me stop and I think about how do you love when love is not returned? Like, I can't imagine thinking back to when I proposed to Allison of getting down on that one knee and pouring my heart out to her if I knew she didn't love me. If I knew she was going to tell me no, I can't imagine giving my car to somebody knowing they were going to purposely go and wreck it. I can't imagine offering my house to somebody knowing they would just go in there and destroy it. Like that's hard for me to wrap my mind around that type of love. For Christ to know that he came and that he died for everyone. For the ones there that were mocking him, for the ones there that were, that were hurting him, that was punishing him, and he knew, I love you. I'm dying for you. That love is, to me, hard to grasp. But yet, it's understanding that type of love that Paul understood that completely changed his course of his life, where he gave up everything to go and persuade people to be reconciled to God to come and have a relationship with God. How awesome is that? 
I know when I pause for a moment and I just think back to the cross and, and what Christ did, it truly renews my spirit. And I hope this morning it does for you. Gratitude precedes action. This is another reminder for me knowing that, hey, I'm never going to change. I'm never going to improve. I'm never going to have that conversation with somebody if gratitude's not there. I truly believe in all areas of our life that appreciation has to be there for us to take action, for us to live a godly life, for us to live faithful to God. It has to come from a heart that overflows with gratitude. This next section, in verse uh, 16 through 17, turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. This next section, Paul's going to talk about the love of Christ. In verse 16, he says, from now on, therefore, and you notice here, each of these sections is going to be wrapped around this idea of therefore, where Paul's building upon his argument, his sermon that he's presenting here. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul's talking about a different way of looking at people, of perceiving people. That he says, at one time I saw Christ according to the flesh, as in Christ, I mean, Paul saw him not as the Messiah, this false person that was representing God that, that needed to be beaten, that needed to be um, shut up and, and stopped. And he says, no, I just saw his fleshly thing, where he was from, that he wasn't the, this king we were anticipating. But now he saw him for who he was as Christ. And he says, we too have to have that, that way of perceiving people. Sometimes the biggest obstacle that makes people feel isolated and that they're not welcomed here is the reason we actually all come together. It's the most unifying thing, and that's sin. A lot of people struggle with this idea of feeling unworthy to be a part of God's kingdom. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, 9 through 11, Paul says, Once were some of you, but you were washed. And right before this, he goes through and he lists all these different sins. And he says, remember, this was who you were but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. We've had salvation, we have this new creation in Christ. So this morning, if you grew up here, or you grew up in the church and you, there was years where you stepped away from your faith and did a bunch of things that you're embarrassed about, and you're wondering here to yourself, do I belong here? Yes, you belong here. Because Christ has made us worthy to belong here. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what, I don't even, I don't even know where 2 Corinthians is in the Bible. I don't, I've never heard of Abraham. I don't have this knowledge. This is all new to me. Do I belong here? Yes, you belong here because Christ has made us worthy. If you're a spouse who you've sat in the pews or a, a family member who's come in support for years upon years and you're wondering, hey, is it too late or is it awkward now for me to make that commitment? No, you belong here because Christ has made you worthy. We all belong here because of Christ. And we have to see one another, not for the baggage that we bring to the table because we all have it, but because of this opportunity of new creation 
of this new life to be defined by this love of Christ to be reconciled to Christ. So how do we do that? How do we help each other and individuals to not perceive themselves for their mistakes or their past, but to perceive themselves the way Christ perceives them? Alice and I have been talking about this for a while, and it got brought up in our Bible class the other day, but I think it comes a a step in that direction (coughs) is, excuse me, is that we have to move from being friendly to inviting. Um, We have to invite someone. Friendly is just being Southern. You know, like you expect to be welcomed at places you expect to be talked to. If not, you're considered rude. But inviting is different. Inviting means that you're welcomed here, that you belong. One example of this is when I started dating uh, Allison. If I'm from Indiana, so hospitality is different in the South, all right? So I go to her house the first time, and her mom is one of the most hospitable, hospitable, ugh. She's really good at hospitality, all right? <laughs> and I go there, and like my drink really overflowed the whole time. I would get down maybe a fourth, and she would keep refilling it. I've never, I didn't play rook, and they invited me to the rook table. I didn't have to sit at the little kid's table. They invited me to the big table. Walking through those doors, it wasn't just a, hi, uh, her name's Regina, I'm Regina. It's, no, you belong here. I want you here. For individuals that walk through that door, there may be a lot of uncomfortable feelings for them, and you may be there. So as a church, for us to help each other to see one another as Christ does, we have to be invited. Not just a, hi, my name's Brian, glad you're here, but hey, come sit with me. Hey, come join me in Bible class. Hey, come out to eat with me. Hey, I would love for our kids to hang out. Hey, I would love to hear your story. That communicates you belong here. And no, will that completely change some of our perceptions of ourselves? No. But we will be more godly and not just Southern. Because if you look at Christ and every interaction with people, he was very inviting. Hey, let me come to your house. Hey, come and follow me. So a reminder this week is to invite somebody to something. Worship at the park would be a great opportunity for that. But always think inviting somebody, not just friendly. (laughs) All right, let's keep moving. Uh, The third section here in our outline is the message of Christ. Unless you have this motivation that is in Christ, unless you have this, this perception and this eyesight that Christ has to love like him, we will never be able to fully grasp this ministry of reconciliation. Turn back to the text, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Then he explains it here. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to us, to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. All right, he's wrapping up his, his sermon here, this, this argumentation here, not argument, but his, his persuasion here. Notice this. There's so many different gifts and talents that we all have, but this ministry is for every Christian. This ministry of reconciliation is to share this message that Christ 
has brought me back to God. That I was lost, I was in darkness, and I've been brought back to God. I have salvation. How awesome is that? When we stop and we think, oh, I am so unworthy to be a Christian, and I am. I mess up, and and I fail God, and I, I throw this gift of salvation away so many different times just for not having a grateful heart, for not being persuaded by that. But yet, I'm worthy because of Christ. We are ambassadors. At this time, you know, if we think of ambassadors, we think, oh, well, this is somebody that you send to another country to try to like build a relationship with them, things like that. At this time, ambassador was when Rome conquered somebody. After they had conquered them and and destroyed their area, they would send an ambassador to Rome to plead for mercy and for friendship. Notice what God says here, because most of the time in reconciliation, we wait for the person to come to us. They've hurt us, and we, we are waiting for them to come to ask for forgiveness, and we may or may not forgive them. And God says, no, I'm coming to you. I'm sending ambassadors to you to say, hey, I want a relationship with you. I want to save you. I want to, to free you from this captivity of sin. He's not waiting for us, waiting for us to come like we should and beg for God to, to have us be part of the kingdom. He says, no, I'm coming to you and inviting you to be part of the kingdom. How awesome that we get to be part of this story. To have a ministry of reconciliation is, is, to, is to serve other people, to recognize their needs, to be aware of it, and go and to love them. This message is a, is a personal message. It's one that speaks to your story, to your salvation, that Christ has saved you, and now he's sending you out to share that message with other people. In Mark chapter 5, I love this, this narrative here because it's really crazy, um, but it's, it's awesome. You have this guy who's demon-possessed in Mark chapter 5, and everybody in the town's afraid of him because he's running around like a crazy person, and I love to watch this, this happen. He's running around like a crazy person. Everybody knows that he's crazy, that he's got these demons in him. Christ gets off the boat there near to where he is, and he, the, he comes up to him, and the demons plead for mercy because they recognize who he is. They recognize that he's the Christ and and begs for mercy. He he casts the demons out uh, into animals there. And everybody in town is amazed. And as you would think, this guy says, hey, this is life-changing. I know you are the Messiah. Let me come and follow you. Let me travel with you. And notice what Jesus says to him. He says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the ministry of reconciliation. That we are saved, that we have been brought back to God, and that now we get to go and share that with our friends. We get to go and be excited and be in awe of God and say, hey, let me tell you about the Savior. Let me tell you about God who loves me, who values me no matter what I've done in the past, who makes me worthy, that I get to anticipate an eternity with him as one of his children to be adopted into his family. And this guy went and he told. And they said the people were amazed at who Jesus was. An interesting thing to me is in Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22, records of Jesus calling some of his his apostles. And there may have been some conversation there that we don't have recorded, but the first recording of them talking, Jesus says, 
I want to make you fishers of men. And then in Matthew 28, at the end of his life, before he's about to ascend back up, he sends them out to go and to share this message of who he is. And the thing that jumps out to me is at the beginning and at the end, there's a similar message here that your purpose is to go and to share the gospel with other people. Not just as ministers, not just as, as teachers, because there's something different about being a teacher. Um, you may not have the gift of teaching, to stand up in a Bible class and to, to share with one another, but each of us have this gift, this ability to share what Christ has done in our lives. As we close, I want us to look at the, the final couple of verses here in our text. We'll pick up in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he has made us to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Notice this here. Christ had to sacrifice for us. He had to take on our sin, what we've done, and die for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. What a gift. What a savior. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I've listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Like the illustration earlier of the, of the kid who had to do push-ups, whether or not they took the donut. The same thing is for you. Christ has died and has offered you that gift. And Paul says, do not receive the gift of do not receive the grace of God in vain. It is there for you to receive. But you have to be humbled. You have to be convicted that Christ is the Messiah, that he wants to save you, that he wants to reconcile, to bring you back to God, that you are lost because of your sins, but that there is hope in Jesus. I love this last line here. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. How amazing. Today is the day of salvation. For you that may be lost, that need reconciled with God, Paul says, now is a favorable time. Now is the time, better than anything else, to have salvation. In chapter five, Paul started all this with this idea of heaven, that the fear of the Lord is for one who is in all of God, who, who respects him, who understands his power. And God is a very faithful God for those that, commit their lives to him, we know with, with no doubt that we have a promise to spend eternity with him. But yet there's still the justice of God. There's still a day of judgment where we have to stand before God. And I pray that today you don't have to stand there alone. Because standing there alone, you will be convicted of your sins. There will be nobody there to, to plead for you, nobody there to offer that perfection. But if you commit your life to Christ, he makes you worthy. He makes you to become the righteousness of God. This morning, I plead with you to be reconciled to God because there's no better choice in your life that you can make than to be a child of God. To gather each week as the church, to lift one another up, to encourage one another up as God calls us to go and be ambassadors for him. This morning, if you need Christ, I pray that you will do that as, as we stand and we sing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> uh, if you are a Christian, 
this week. Don't do nothing. Don't sit on this message, this gift that you have, that Christ has saved you, that he cares about you. Because each one of us shares in this ministry. Each one of us are called to be ambassadors of God. There's people in your life that I will never talk to. I will never have that opportunity. There's people in my life that will never speak to you. But yet I have that opportunity to share Jesus with him. This week, let us live for God. This morning, if you need Jesus, please stand as we, please come forward as we stand and we sing.